couple of countries before God called me to the States. I moved to America about 10 years ago. Uh, and I had the chance to plant 12 churches here in the state of Kentucky and then serve with the state convention. And the reason I'm saying that is because I want to thank you because it is because of you that I'm able to do what God called me to do. Every time that you hear about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, it is not an organization that exists and it has offices in Louisville. It is not this entity that it's up there in the air that we hear names and see logos. It's people working for the kingdom because we as Baptists believe that together we can accomplish more than alone. And that we can collaborate despite differences, despite despite uniquenesses that each one of our churches has. We have learned throughout history that our denomination understood that we work better together than individually. And because of that, I just want to say thank you. So next time that you hear about a report, and I know no one likes reports, well, unless you're um, you know, in accounting, probably, or something like that. Next time that you hear that a, a college students heard the gospel, next time that you hear about churches being planted, the next time that you hear about missionaries going into the field and serving, being an incarnation, a manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's possible because of you. And because of that, I want to say thank you. A couple of things that before we go into scripture, um, I just want to know, you guys in the music, and the guys probably in the back, are you guys going to be in the same three services? Not the middle service. So you get to hear the same jokes twice. <laughs> That's making me nervous. I mean, I mean, preaching the same sermon, it's not a problem. But I mean, the jokes, they're natural. They're organic. So, so thank you, guys. Thank you. And it won't be fake. And it won't be fake. And it won't be fake. And uh, that was one of my questions. The other one, I, just, I mean, let's talk about the elephant in the room. You're thinking right now. Uh, that dude is tall, <laughs> right? Especially for a Hispanic guy, that's very tall, right? And the only reason you think that is because you haven't met my brothers. That's the only reason why. I'm, I'm the short one in my family, like for real. You know, all my brothers are, are taller than me. It is, a, it is a joy to be here with you guys. It is, it is such a privilege to see the bride, to see the manifestation of the body of Christ. Am I doing something wrong that I'm getting a little bit of feedback? Is there anything I need to do? Like not yell, probably. <laughs> that, usually, that usually helps. Uh, and I'm, I'm opening my, my notes in here. I promise you um, I'm, not looking at, um, I'm not looking at my uh, Facebook or my Twitter or anything like that. I, I really don't. Um, let's, go, uh, let's go to the Bible and open our Bibles in Deuteronomy 5.12. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Hear, Israel, 
the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with those at the mountain. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but it is with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to, to the face out on the fire on the mountain at that time. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up in the mountain. And he said, second time Moses is telling the commandments. Let's have another word of prayer. Padre Celestial, Señor, queremos agradecerte la oportunidad de estar reunidos y la oportunidad de escuchar tu palabra. Te alabamos, Señor Jesús, por el poder de la salvación y el regalo que nos has dado en el Espíritu Santo. And as we come together, Father, I want to ask you that you will speak to us. If anything else, Father, we just want to hear from you. Because you have words, words of life. Because you're the bread of life. And it is, Father, from you and not from me that we want to hear today. Speak to us so clearly that we know what to do there next. That there are no ifs or questions or doubts. That it is clear to us, Father, in the directions that you, direction that you want us to move after we hear the speaking of your word. And Father, especially speak to me. Because you know how important it is for me, Father, to know about this matter. I love you, Father. We love you. And we love you because you have loved us first. And you gave your son, Jesus Christ, for us to be with us. Thank you, Jesus. It is in that beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Moses is talking, talking, you know the context, right? Let me give you a summary. Moses is talking to the people of Israel for the second time. Forty years have passed since they left Egypt. Forty years of signs and disobedience. Signs and disobedience. Three steps forward, two steps back, right? That's the history of life. That's our story. That was the story of the people of Israel. God will lead them into the promised land and they will, they will find a way to, to go back and say, well, no, we are not ready. We, we do not believe the spies. That generation, 40 years wandering in the, uh, in the desert, in the wilderness, and finally they have come to the conquest, to, to conquering into the, uh, the, the victory that they are pursuing in the promised land. And, we, and Moses says, oh, by the way, uh, let me tell you again what the Lord told us 40 years ago. So this is the second account that we have about the Ten Commandments. So what God is trying to do, God is trying to form a nation out of 12 families. Basically, that was the purpose of the Ten Commandments. It was a summary of the law. And he was like, you, you, you are nothing but a big family. I want you to be a nation, and I need to give you, give you guys rules. I need to give you guys statues. And it's at the context of here that we are going to see the four commandment, the importance of resting and practicing Sabbath. It is my goal today to show to you 
If we can go back to the title of this, uh, uh, of this sermon. It's my, my goal today to show you that the fourth commandment, it's not only the one that we neglect the most, but it's probably the most essential one as it has relational significance for all of us. It is my goal to give you three arguments that unless you are practicing the spiritual discipline of resting, you are going to have broken relationships with the Lord, broken relationships with yourself, broken relationships with one another, and broken relationships with God's creation. And that's why I appreciated uh, that portion of scripture that uh, she read before the last song, yes, the gift of creation. And we'll get to that here in a minute. The Lord gives the commandments, right? I read verse 1 through 5. And you know the commandments. So, but still, let us, let us review them fairly quickly, right? First commandment, it's again idolatry. Verse 7, second commandment, it's against you confining God's power to an image or a statue or something that instead of being God's grandiose nature, you make him a commodity. That is the second commandment. Verse 8. Third commandment, misuse of the name of the Lord. Verse 11. Verse 12 through 15, the commandment to rest. Verse 16, you are to honor family structure. Right? God gave us a family structure and we are to honor that. Verse 16. Verse 17, it's a warning against murder. Verse 18, it's a warning against, against sexual impurity. Verse 19, it's a warning against stealing. Verse 20, it's a warning against gossip. Do not go around saying things about your brother or your sister that are not true. Verse 21, it's a warning against do not let anything that someone else has become between you and that person. Do not let anything that someone else has and you don't to get in your way of relating to that person. Right? That's the nature of the commandments, right? So, so those are the Ten Commandments and, and, and you know them, right? I'm not telling you anything that you know. But the Fourth Commandment, the Fourth Commandment, it's a bridge. It's a bridge that connects, uh, if you're looking at the first three commandments, they're about the way that you relate to God. Then it comes the fourth commandment. It's a reflexive commandment because you apply it to yourself. And then you have the other commandments about the others. But here's the thing. Everything rests on verse 6. Verse 6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Everything, all of the commandments are based on God's reminder that we were brought out of Egypt. It's really interesting that the commandment about resting, did you notice? He's given four verses to that commandment. Everything else like do not, do not, do not. But then he's like, let me tell you about the importance of resting. He's dedicating the biggest amount of time to resting. Everything makes sense in light 
of the first verse, of course. But here's the thing. Let me tell you something. God reminds the people and he says, I am the Lord your God, of, uh, your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is so important, church. This is so important because God is reminding to his people that if although Ten Commandments might be hard to deal with, there were slaves before. God has to remind to his people, hey, I'm going to give you ten rules that you have to follow, but they are better than what you had before. We have to understand that, that, that the Lord's yoke, it's easy to carry. And, and we have to understand, and the people in Israel, they have to understand, like, I can imagine the faces of those people, like, uh, ten rules, like, for real? I thought that we were going to be free. What is the purpose of being out of Egypt? Like, if he's going to keep, keep on giving us more rules. And God is saying, like, yeah, I understand, but this is going to protect you. These rules are to protect you, and you have to remember that they are better than what you had in Egypt. In other words, do not be like my mom. She's in a different country and she doesn't speak English. So it's perfectly fine for me to speak about my mom. <laughs> she had um, Spanish heritage. We, uh, like I said, originally from Spain. I was, my brothers and I, first generation being born in Mexico. So she had a lot of sayings. One of her favorite was like, when I would ask, like, hey, mom, what do we have for supper? She would be like, oh, shut up and eat. That was when I was like, wow, that sounds, sounds, sounds yummy. I mean, sounds, thank you. But one of her favorite ones was, uh, mom, why, why, why do I have to do that? And it was like, because I say so. And I'm not questioning my mom's authority. And I wasn't expecting for my mom to explain the rule, hear me right. I'm not questioning neither my mom's authority or her ability to give me an explanation. I didn't want an explanation. What I wanted her for me to say is like, no, that's to protect you. If I'm telling you do not cross the street, it's because I want you to be safe. If I'm telling you not to go close to the stove, it's because I don't want you to get burned. That is what God is doing with that. I'm going to give you 10 rules, but they are for your benefit. Therefore, your benefit because you are a slave. Don't you ever forget that you are a slave. And when we apply that to our lives, and I'm sorry, that's, not a, that's kind of an introduction. I promise you, I'll get you out of here on time. But when we approach the Ten Commandments, our human nature is to resist. And to say, I thought that you called me to freedom. Why are you giving me these rules? Because I love you. Because the Lord disciplines those that he cares for. The Ten Commandments are not a burden. The Ten Commandments are boundaries to protect ourselves and those around us from our destructive nature. Want to live out, you know, outside of God's will? and Go ahead. By all means, try to live a life without following the Ten Commandments. By all means. Welcome yourself and lead yourself into chaos. Try to go against them. Ignore God. Do not rest. Desire everything that your neighbor has. Steal or murder. Go ahead and try it. 
and see how that works for you. So God says in verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to work six days and do everything that you are supposed to do. But on the seventh day, you are going to dedicate it as a Sabbath to the Lord. On that day, you are not to work. Not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals or the foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Once again, you see how that is important? He says it again. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So what are the three lessons? What are the three lessons that we learned? The first one, the spiritual discipline of the Sabbath empowers us to relate in a healthy manner with ourselves. In other words, without resting, without the spiritual discipline of the Sabbath, we are never going to understand our true identity in Christ. God talks about, about rescue them from Egypt. Why? Let me tell you why. Because in Egypt, no one worked. Do you remember the story? They were making tons of brick, literally, right? I was supposed to be a joke, didn't, <laughs> didn't land well. They were making tons of bricks, right? And they complained and they got what? More work. But guess what? If the workers are making more bricks, what happens to the managers? They're overseeing more work. And if the managers are overseeing more work, guess what happened to Pharaoh? He's overseeing his managers. In Egypt, no one worked. The Israelites were nothing but a well-oiled machine that was making bricks. No identity, no names, no family stories. What matters, it's your quota. Are you meeting your quota or not? Everyone, it's nothing but a means of production. In Egypt, that was the only thing that mattered. And God tells the Israelites, I brought you out of there because you are not how many bricks you produce. God is telling the people of Israel, now you have the ability to stop one day and say, I'm not going to make bricks anymore. I can rest and my identity will be perfectly intact. It's interesting that in America we idolize production. It's interesting that in America we think that we are what we make. It's interesting that in America we get ourselves in a rat race where we are consuming and we are consuming and consuming for the sake of consumption. And when we are consuming, we are not only consuming for the moment, but we are probably the only country in the world that has a problem of hoarding. It's not only the consumption, but I'm going to acquire goods for the sake of acquiring them. 
and now I need a bigger house, and now I need a bigger storage room. Not to use, but to acquire, to keep. And when you're in a system like that, what matters is what you produce. And you place yourself in a rat race on which you think that your identity, it's your bank account, the size of your car, the size of your house. We place ourselves in jobs that we hate to buy things that we don't need. And God says you have to stop. You're placing yourself in Egypt back again. I'm not placing you there, but you are. Why? Because on the Sabbath, instead of spending time with your family, you are sending that email. Because on the Sabbath, instead of celebrating what God is doing in your life, you're trying to make an extra buck. It won't hurt me. It would be good for my family. And God says, no, your identity is not on what you own. Your identity is not on the size of your house. Your identity is not on the capacity that you have to send your kids to whatever school. Your identity, it's rooted in Christ. And in such, we are free. Brothers and sisters, do not let anyone lie to you. You are not what you produce. You are not meeting quota at work. You are not meeting quota at school, I guess. You have to get good grades. Um, yeah, we don't want you to get spelled from school. Get good grades. But God says you have to remember that you are not what you produce. How hard it would be for you to let go one day. Because here's the thing. It's not only that you think that you are what you produce. But when you ignore the Sabbath and your true identity in Christ. Guess who's at the center of your life. It is you and your ability to keep things together. If I do not send that email, my world is going to fall apart. If I don't go and meet with that client, what is my family going to it? And God says, do not worry. I'll take care of you. I take care of the sparrows. I take care of the weed and the grass. I'll take care of you. That email can wait. That business meeting can wait. Because your life do not depend upon your ability to produce. Your life depends on my grace and my faithfulness to you. Ignoring the Sabbath race is placing you at the center of your life instead of Christ. And it makes it destroy our true identity in Christ. The second thing that we see in this passage is that uh, um, we go to the next slides. If slide, if the spiritual, without the spiritual discipline of the Sabbath, we won't be able to relate to others in a healthy manner. Resting highlights our loving obligation towards other, others. Look at verse 14. You are not to do any work. That was a short version. If you go back to Exodus, that's where the, 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 the verse stops. But in here, Moses, quoting the Lord, adds more to it. And he says, you're not to work, but guess what? Neither is to your daughter or your son, your co-workers, your animals in the farm, 
or even the foreigner that lives among you. Everyone, everyone in your sphere of influence is supposed to rest. Why? Because without resting, we won't be able to relate to others in a healthy way. When we are making breaks, when the Israelites were making breaks, everyone's the same. Some, uh, not everyone is the same. And some people may think, right, I can, I can see, you know, people uh, saying back to Moses, like, why are we supposed to raise the same? I'm working harder. My bricks are better. My bricks look more beautiful. They're better shaped, you know. I'm getting more quota. Why do we have to rest all the same? Well, because what God is saying, like, in my eyes, everyone's the same. That's what everyone at your household has to rest the same. And that's why he says when you're able to rest, you stop seeing your daughter and your son as commodities. You stop seeing your coworkers as competition. You stop seeing the foreigner as a threat. Because everyone is resting at the same time. The hierarchy of production is destroyed when everything, everyone is resting about the same time. Without resting, brothers and sisters, you're either going to use and abuse people or you're going to be used or abused by people. You have to rest. And everyone in your sphere of influence has to rest Your kiddos, they don't need another lesson. Stop outsourcing the formation of your kids. The baseball coach to the ballet coach to the piano lesson. Stop doing that. Teach your family how to rest because what your daughter needs, it's a mother and a father that spends time with them in the Sabbath. That's what they need. They need a father, not a chauffeur, driving them around from activity to activity. When you rest, you see that your coworkers are not a competition. Your coworkers are not means for you to accomplish everything that you want in life. And you start seeing them as who they are, broken individuals. You need a without a God without hope, lost in this world. When you're able to rest, you see the foreigner. Isn't, isn't that amazing? The guy saying, even the foreigner that lives among you, he's to rest at the same time that you're resting. And when we do that, we see them as who they are, the opportunity for us to be incarnational in our gospel representation to them. But guess what? That's never going to happen unless you stop and rest and practice the Sabbath. Finally, the third thing that we see in this passage is the spiritual discipline of the Sabbath empowers us to relate in a healthy manner to God's creation. It blesses us with contemplative spirituality. Why? 
Why in the world is he including the ox and the donkey? Because we believe, right, that the Bible is true, right? Right? Everything that it says is true. So in here, the Bible says, hey, by the way, the, the farm animals that you have, they have to rest too. They have to rest too, right? And I think that that has multiple labels. I think that in one label, God is showing to human beings basic compassion towards his creation. I think that that's a basic, very basic statement of this passage, right? Farm animals have to rest. That's something very basic that is there. But I think that another label, God is saying, I am the king of creation. And my power is over your life, the power of those around you, but also over creation. I have the power to decide when the sun stops. I have the power to decide before I want to split the sea. And I have the power to decide when the animals of creation are to rest. And they are to rest, right? That's like a second level. But I think that at a very high level, what God is saying is this. Do you remember, do you remember that emotion that you, that you experience when you see the ocean? It's a sense of awe when you're looking at the ocean. Jorge Luis Borges, an Argentinian uh, poet, says that we see the ocean the first time every time. It doesn't matter how many times you have seen it. You get there and you're like, wow. Right? We see the ocean for the first time every time. And the same happens. Have you ever thought about that? So I was driving on 65 and I took an exit to the right. Scott's Road, I think. Something like that. And then I turned left. And I came down on another road. You guys know the roads. I, I don't. <laughs> And I'm looking around, and I want to cry. You can, see the, uh, you can see the mist. You can see the dew on the grass. You're looking at green pastures. You're green, look at beautiful trees and blue skies. Right? And the Bible actually talks about that. Right? The heavens declare the glory of our Father. Right? Actually, uh, um, the Bible says over and over and over the creation worships God. And that's why when we're looking at a mountain, that's why when we're looking at the ocean, we are moved, spiritually moved, because we are seeing something that is pointing us back to the Creator. No one has to ride in a mountain made in USA, right? You don't go to the ocean and see a plaque saying, you know, quality control XXX. We know who made those things. And they point us back to the creation. We, we do not look at them and stay there. We look above and say, the God that created this, he's my God, he's my father. Well, here's the thing. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says the creation is waiting for us. Right? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, the creation is moaning, waiting for Jesus Christ to come so we all can be glorified. Tim Keller, the pastor, the theologian, he says this, a tree worships in a way that you will never be able to do. It's like, whoa, those dudes in Louisville, they're liberal, man. They're tree lovers, Right? Oh, hoggers, huh? yeah, tree hoggers, that's the expression. He's like, no, 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 Tim Keller says this. 
A, worship, a, a tree is worshiping God in a way that you will never be able to because a tree is not going through sanctification. A tree is being what God created him to be. A tree didn't fall out of the Garden of Eden. An oak was an oak in the Garden of Eden, and it's an oak right now. An oak has accomplished the purpose for which God created him to be, it to be. We haven't. We are going through sanctification. And that's why the heavens and the mountains and the forest and all of those things in creation remind us of God. That's why they declare God's glory. But if you don't stop, literally, to smell the roses, you will never see God in creation. That's why he's saying, you know, your animals, the, I mean, who cannot look at an ox and say, the beauty of the creation. Here's the thing. Unless you stop and rest, you're going to miss the beauty of the creation and the power of the God that is speaking to you through creation. That's why I love March, the, the month of March. Um, as a UFL fan, it has nothing to do with basketball at all. That's not why I enjoy the month of March at all. And it's not because of weather. Uh, uh, growing up, uh, the last portion of my life, I was in Mexico City. Anything above 80 degrees, I'm sweating. Uh, anything below 40 degrees, I'm freezing, like literally, like I do not want to do anything. But right around March, you know, in Kentucky, we get those days, right? It's kind of windy, 50, 55. You have a light sweatshirt. You can actually see the blooming of things happening. And I love that season because when I look at that, I'm reminded that whatever lows in my life have, I have, God can always bring life out of me. I'm remind, reminded by the spring that regardless of how complicated things look around me, God is the God of the universe, the cosmos, and he's going to give things according to his will. But the only way that I can appreciate that is if I'm willing to rest and take the time to contemplate creation and worship the creator of, of creation. So as we conclude, let me, let me encourage you. Go and rest. Go and rest. Today, at all means, if possible, go and rest. Go and rest and enjoy creation. Look at the beautiful things that God has provided for us. Enjoy your family for who they are. Your sons and your daughters. Not those individuals that are draining your fridge and you have to send to school every Monday morning. Think about your co-workers. Think about the foreigner that lives among you. And prepare yourself. Get a good cup of coffee. I mean, if you can, good coffee. I mean good. Do not add any sugar or milk. Do not destroy coffee. <laughs> if you want a milkshake, I'll take you get a milkshake. <laughs> and by all means, prepare yourself. Get a cup of coffee, sit outside, read scripture. Do you remember what it was to hang out with your high school friends? So, dude, what are you doing? Nothing. What do you want to do? Nothing. You want to come over? Sure, why not? No agenda, right? 
Try that with your family. Try that with your family. No agenda. And prepare yourself. Like, by all means, if you have duties, I mean, guys, if you guys home, have homework, do homework. Tonight, today, don't blame it on me. That dude at church said don't do homework. Like, prepare this week. If you have to start next week, start this week. Like, do not get fired. You have to go to work today. Do not get fired by all means. But prepare yourself and learn to rest. Do you know that your identity is in Christ? Do you know how to relate to others? And you know how to relate to creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Father, for the uh, power of scripture. And Father, I want to ask you, I want to ask you for myself and for my brothers, but especially for me, Lord, that you would teach me how to rest, to stop the non-sense uh, activities, to stop the self-medication with TB, to stop, Father, the restless activities that do nothing but distort our sense of identity. Be with us, be with our church, Father, and be with everyone else that is being able to see and listen to this message, Father. We love you. Once again, Lord, we love you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.